This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Happy New Year, Happy everyone. Happy birthday. My New Year's resolution. Hi, this is Overdue, podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Andrew. My name is Craig. My resolu- My first resolution was to do that, to take it from you. Okay. Temporarily and keep it for myself. Okay. But give it back next week, probably. And my second resolution is to be less sick than mm. I've been so far in 2019 sure yes is that's to a, get better that's a good resolution i think you're delivering on it you're better than i saw you the other day i'm working on it yeah that's good i so think got some uh some snot in my honker <laughs> that's where that's where you should keep it but um, uh, i'm bef- getting rid of it before we talk about the first book of this year uh <laughs> philip pullman's the golden compass i'll say that my resolution is to look at all of the stuff that i hoped to do in 2018 and see if I can do like half of it in 2019. Wait, how much a, of it did you get done in 2018? There's a well, some of it, but there's a bunch of things that I just didn't do. Uh huh. And if I could do like half of them this year, if you could do half of the things that you didn't do, yeah. <laughs> so what are we talking? Like a third of the things that you'd planned to do just last year? Yeah, let's something say, like that. <laughs> something like that. And okay. I don't know if I have anything new that I want to do. I'm working. I'm two years behind on my life. Maybe is the what? I, oh God, that sounds like a real bummer. I don't want to. You catch up. Like I don't like big projects run behind all the time. Yeah, it's just my life. You know, like is basically building a real estate and, project. Yeah, yeah, or like implementing laws and things. Like it's just it takes takes time. It takes yeah. a lot of time. Well, thank you for your support because it, it's come along. But we need we need some. We need some time to get this. The done. other your other resolution, I guess, should be to describe the show for new listeners. Yeah, who if, might their resolution might be to listen to the show. So every week, one of us reads a book that we've never read before and describes it to the other one. From me. I'm just telling, like in the future, this is how you might do it. Oh, okay. because as we just discussed, you have like pretty serious follow through issues. That, okay, so thank you for demonstrating <laughs> for me. So, Andrew, you did not, you have never read this week's book. I've never read this week's book. Um, but it's The Golden Compass, a.k.a. The Northern Lights or Northern by Lights. Sir, Sir Philip Pullman. Sir Philip Pullman. This was recommended to us by one of our Patreon listeners. Thank you, Austin, for your recommendation. And also more. by my wife. Uh, my other resolution is <laughs> to do that more. Great. Good. Um she wanted me to read the book, and then I did. And then there's two more, which she probably also wants me to read, which I haven't agreed to read for the show, but maybe I'll just read them anyway. What is that? That's just called living and reading. Good good, good start to this year so it's far. It's going really us. good. I'm sick still. Okay. Well, you're working on it. We talked about that. Yeah. Um, Phil, Philip Pullman, Sir Philip Pullman. Was Sir Philip Senior Seymour Pullman. Yep. Is that his middle name? You don't know that. <laughs> no. He was born in 1946. 
Um, his dad, I believe, was a f- like a bomber pilot, um, and his family moved around a little bit. And then his dad died uh, when he was pretty young, and then his mom remarried, and he moved to like Australia or some you know Zimbabwe or something. He's he moved yeah, around a lot. Are, those as are a very kid. those are different, yeah, countries. Uh-huh. Um, and then he ultimately moved back to uh, Wales and then studied at Exeter. Um, it'll come up a little bit later, but he had a teacher who instilled in him a love for, uh, Milton's Paradise Lost, which is probably a book we should read sometime, but don't tell us cause it'll take forever. Um, and that is actually where the title of this book comes from. So we'll talk about that. The uh, American title, The Golden Compass or the original title, The Northern Lights. I was, um, both of, oh, the American, or the, the, American or, or title. the overarching title, um, His Dark Materials. The American title and the overarching trilogy title. Okay. His Dark Materials. Um, he was a teacher for many years. Um, he liked to close his Friday classes with a 15 minute story, just like off the top of his head, um, based on like, you know, stuff they might be learning. And he kind of has cited that as some of where he honed his storytelling craft. He was also writing. (laughs) What? Did you ever have in school a teacher (laughs) who you could kind of derail by asking them to do stuff? Like we had a science teacher we could always derail by asking her to give us like college advice. Oh, good. And then like the last 15 minutes of any class would just be that instead of whatever we're supposed to be learning about dissecting frogs or whatever. We had a geometry teacher. Geometry teacher? A math teacher in high school who we could derail really easily. Someone actually once asked him to stop telling a story, and it was like she had kicked a dog. Like the room oh, went no. silent, and people were going to rebel because they were so mad that this girl wanted to learn, I guess. Well, it's going to ruin everybody's scan. <laughs> I know. Anyway, um, that's, that's what this made me think of. Yes. It's like, yeah, I bet all these kids in this class were super hyped to hear their professor make up a story for 15 minutes every week it ties to a through line that pullman has talked you know has had in a couple of interviews i read where he he bemoans standardized testing he bemoans like over standardized curricula um, and he thinks that storytelling is a really useful way to learn things and and digest information um he Wrote his first children's book, Count Carlstein, in 1982. <laughs> about a Jewish vampire. I don't know what that's about. Um, he wrote some other novels, and then he, His Dark Materials is the series that we're going to be talking about today. And the first book of which, originally published under the title Northern Lights, um, a.k.a. The Golden Compass, was published in 1995, followed by The Subtle Knife in 1997, and the amber spyglass in what 2000 2000 yeah. just 2000 yeah and then there were two um shorter works in the same universe called lyra's oxford and once upon a time in the north which were published in 2003 and 2008 respectively mm-hmm. and then the start of a new trilogy called the book of dust uh began in 2017 with la belle sauvage Ooh. which means the savage girl <laughs> okay thanks for your translation um, and it takes place, I guess, before the His Dark Materials saga, where the main character in this is just a little baby, mm. and then the next two will happen after, is okay. my understanding. Okay. Um, he's received a bunch of awards for these books and like his work in general. Um, Spyglass won the Whitbread Book of the Year. 
excuse me the Whitbread book of the year Do not you mean white, white bread, bread? No. <laughs> just Whitbread um the Northern Lights won the Carnegie Medal I think um in 95 and then when they did a like everyone vote on which Carnegie winners are the best it won that competition also the Carnegie winner winner Carnegie of Carnegie's it's called um <laughs> As I said before, the title comes title of His Dark Materials, the series, and The Golden Compass, this book in America, uh, come from two sections of Paradise Lost. Uh, and both sections are about like the scope of the universe and whether or not there are like other worlds that God could have made if he wanted to. Uh-huh. That seems relevant to the book. It does. I can so here's what you get in the intro after an an excerpt from Paradise Lost Book Two. Oh, okay. Is um the Golden Compass forms the first part of a story in three volumes. The first volume is set in a universe like ours, but different in many ways. The second volume is set in the universe we know. The third volume will move between the universes. Huh. Okay. So just kind of priming you for some multi-universal travel here. Sure. Sure. Like going abroad, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly um, like that. Yeah. Um, the big thing that I found on Pullman and his work is like some of the controversy regarding the books, the adaptations of the books into plays, and then the controversy surrounding the first, the movie they made in 2007, and then they never made any other movies. Yeah, I feel like this and um, the Narnia movies kind of fell into a hole where nobody was interested enough <laughs> in them to... to merit their completion because in the narnia movies like the new ones only get up to like the second or maybe the third book they made prince caspian and i don't i remember kids standing around in a sad castle Um, chronicles of narnia being made into new movies by netflix october 2018 okay that's different um boy but there's the 2010 Boy, there's a 2010 one that's an adaptation of the fourth one, I guess. That's how far they made it, I suppose. Nobody um, saw that one. Trying to figure... You should keep going. I'm trying okay. to figure out if this was like direct of it. No, it was a theatrical <laughs> release. That's further than I thought it would be. Well, so the main thing that I, I wanted to bring up, because I think it's going to lay some interesting groundwork for the discussion later in the episode. Oh, no, wait. Maybe the silver chair thing didn't happen. Okay. I think the, okay, the third one is as far as they got. Okay. Um, that much of the opposition to these books has come from uh, Catholic groups or other uh, religious groups, but Catholic groups in particular, that don't seem to like what this book has to say about religion um, or what these books have to say about God. Uh, the U.S. Catholic League like boycotted, organized boycotts of the film, um, there are a bunch of uh, school teacher groups, I think Anglican school teacher groups, that attempted to boycott productions of the plays at the National Theater in England. Mm-hmm. Um, asked about it, Pullman said, I've been surprised by how little criticism I've got, actually. <laughs> Harry Potter's been taking all the flack. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've been flying under the radar saying things that are far more subversive than anything poor old Harry has said. My books are about killing God. <laughs> so, cool. <laughs> Um, and even if we run into some like a little bit of of this kind of thing with with Terry Pratchett, maybe yeah, I think where so. a lot of like fantasy and 
and sci-fi authors in this like the 90s 2000s era are just being so overshadowed or by not even harry overshadowed potter, but yeah. just like everything is considered in relation to harry potter true, true and all the oxygen that sucks out of the room yeah um the a lot of the not success of the film um makers of it kind of pointed to these boycotts as as hurting it as like a family film succeeding um though reviews were also kind of mixed so maybe it was that it, it seemed to have been a little probably a little bit of both um and he in general Pullman has like talked in interviews about not liking C.S. Lewis, which I think kind of is in line with some of the criticism of his work, uh, of Pullman's work. Um, He doesn't like that uh, he considers Narnia propaganda in the cause of the religion Lewis believed in. Um, He also doesn't like that he, quote, it is, quote, monumentally disparaging of girls and women. It is blatantly racist. One girl was sent to hell because she was getting interested in clothes and boys. We talked about that a little bit. (laughs) I think we get a little pushback on that every time we say it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then he does. In general, though, he doesn't seem to like that Lewis um, has some more like answers on on stuff. He's kind of working from a. He's not raising questions as much as he's answering things with his own theology. Sure. Um, and that these books seem to engage with the idea of what if what what if religion, but without the the oppressive elements that the worst of it can bring out. Yeah. Um, and what do you do with that? Um, so I, I think we'll we'll end up talking about that. I think we'll the, end up talking about a little a little of that, and I think even bits that go a little further than that at least as at least as i read them sure i mean he does call his church in the book the magisterium which is literally the teaching authority of the roman catholic church Uh (laughs) like not in i think a later a later book does pretty explicitly yeah establish the the like ruling religion even this book in in the end like he's quoting Bible verses that have been lightly modified to reflect the way the universe has been lightly modified. And it is like, hey, Adam and Eve and like a snake and God. And hey, this is familiar. This seems familiar. Okay. well, let's uh, take a quick break and then you can tell me all about the book and we can find out how much of this controversy was worth it. That sounds just great. Andrew, my teeth. Show them to me. What's what's up with them? They're jacked up. They're dirty. I need help. <laughs> oh, no. Do we have a sponsor this week that can help me out? Luckily, yeah, we do. It's Quip, the toothbrush guys. Oh, cool. That's their new tagline. A new year means new resolutions, and we've got one that you're working on twice every day. It's oh. your oral health. Boom. And with a Quip electric toothbrush, sticking to good habits is simple. Guiding features are like a built-in support system for better brushing. So I've been using a Quip toothbrush for quite a while now. It's got sensitive sonic vibrations for an effective clean that's gentle on your sensitive gums because people brush too hard and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive. And also has a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds so you can switch sides and clean your whole mouth evenly. You don't want clean top chompers and dirty, nasty bottom ones. It's true. Um, it's got a multi-use cover that works as a stand and also a little travel cover when you're when you're out and about. And you can also have brush heads automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Also comes with a little battery you can use to uh, recharge the little toothbrush. It's just a little AAA that you pop in there. It's pretty easy. 
Um, so yeah, I like Quip because they do send me new bristles and otherwise I would just use the same toothbrush bristles <laughs> until they literally disintegrate in my mouth. And I would bet that's why over 1 million happy, healthy mouths love Quip too. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash overdue right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's a $5 value for free. Your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash overdue. Getquip.com slash overdue. Clean up your nasty mouth. Andrew, one of my resolutions this year is to just learn more stuff. Okay. But I don't always have the time to to learn as much stuff as I want. Obviously. And you're just also, like we said before, just like not good at accomplishing your many goals. Yeah. So (laughs) one of our sponsors this week, Blinkist, I think can help me out. If you're like me, the list of books you want to read or those people suggest you read is never ending and always expanding. You simply don't have time to read them all. Our sponsor Blinkist has solved your long list of must reads once and for all. It's the only app that takes thousands of best-selling non-fiction books and distills them down to their most impactful elements so you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes all on your phone, Andrew. Ooh, nice. Uh, with Blinkist, you will expand your knowledge and learn more in just 15 minutes than you can in almost any other way. Plus, you can listen anywhere. I like to listen to stuff on my phone uh, while I'm biking to work. Um, Ooh, interesting. Because I don't, then I can't look at my phone, but I could listen to it, and it's mm-hmm. a commute that I that I use. I like um, to listen to things when I walk to lunch because I work at home. If I don't work, walk to lunch, then I don't interact with people most <laughs> days. <laughs> important. Uh, the Blinkist library is massive, from timeless classics like Think and Grow Rich to current bestsellers like Fire and Fury. Uh, I think people might want to check out. Um, the Sixth Extinction by Elizabeth Colbert. It's a book that I've certainly been meaning to read. Uh, we might be living through the Sixth Extinction on the planet Earth, <laughs> and you might want to know more about it. Uh, Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from best of lists so that you're always getting the most powerful ideas in a made-for-mobile format. Five million people are using it to expand their minds 15 minutes at a time, and you can get started today. So right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash overdue to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash overdue to start your seven-day free trial, Blinkist.com. Slash overdue. 15 minutes, learn something in 2019. Andrew, I'm lost. Do you have a compass to help guide the way? I do. It's a gold one. It's a gold compass. Sounds pretty. What's it about? (laughs) I meant the book, not the actual compass. Not the compass. Well, I mean, what the... the, uh, compass is about is also important okay well but, uh, t- tell me a little bit about what this book is and then we'll talk about what it's about okay so like i said up front this happens in a universe like ours but different in very in, in many ways and i would say it seems like the 90s but <laughs> vaguely steampunk and like less computers like the 1890s or the no 90s? like the 1990s are there the cars decades- no, but there's like zeppelins. Yeah, I love which seems all those steampunk zeppelins. to me. Is like there's no like no cars, but what if everyone used airships to go everywhere? But like, so what makes it feel like the '90s to you? Then I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying '90s because it's like oh, everyone's listening to Nirvana while they drive around <laughs> in their blimps. It's it's because that that's when the book was written. It okay, feels like sure. vaguely contemporary, but less technology, more 
steampunk sure technology. okay 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 um so our our main character her name is lyra bellacqua and she's a little moppet who <laughs> <laughs> lives at this at jordan college which is located in um in uh somewhere in oxford okay okay and she doesn't she doesn't have like her mom and dad have allegedly bit were killed like a long time ago and so her like she sees her uncle whose name is lord Azrael sometimes but she's mostly been entrusted to this college's master and they kind of teach her things as they can like catch her because she's always out and about running around making trouble being ornery okay you know it's good no you know things get things like a teen tween would do yes i'm I'm making friends with all the kids i'm interested to know more about the tweenness of this protagonist Mm -hmm. uh as we as we move forward Mm -hmm. so is this like what is the opening of the book is is she a fish out of water is she a reluctant like does she get thrust into some sort of hero dumb she does that a little bit but let's let's back up a a tiny bit so before we even get into like the first scene of the book, <laughs> okay, you got to talk about a thing that is just like present in the book everywhere. And it's the presence of these little things called daemons. Okay. That are small, like sentient animals that can talk to like every person gets one. Literally every person, every single human person gets one. Huh? Not every sentient being. Oh, okay. And the rules for how they work are different based on like the kind of person who has them sometimes okay but it's a yeah it's a little sentient animals usually it's the opposite sex of the person who has it so lyra is a girl so her daemon uh, pantalaemon is a boy okay and that's a like seems like kind of a digimon type name yeah it really does <laughs> a little bit can i uh not to derail you when do you get your daemon you always have it. It's like when you are born, are you just clutching like a, a salamander that has I a don't name? Like, yeah, I don't know if it just kind of materializes out <laughs> of thin air or what, but you always have one. When you're a kid, it can kind of shape shift around like based on your mood or on what kind of things you needed to do. But then you grow up and it takes like a, a permanent form mm. that is usually like if not reflective of the person's personality, then compatible with the person's personality. There is one story in here of someone whose daemon decides to take a, uh, a dolphin form. Uh-oh. And then that person can just like never be far away from the water ever again. Oh no. <laughs> Cause most people are not like physically capable of being very far away from their daemon. Huh? Daemons like ever. Interesting. Um, and that'll become a plot point uh, later on. I did I did read that he got some of this idea from like there are a bunch of classical paintings like Da Vinci has something called the lady with the ermine there's a painting called young woman with a macaw <laughs> and it's these like paintings of people like holding an animal in a way that like like in a way that today you would find it expressed through like a twitter meme of like doesn't this lady look like her dog where like the the human so like Paris Hilton carrying around a tiny dog in her purse. Is yes, her yes. Okay, and, and how they how like the personality meshes with the creature um, in some way. So that, yeah, yeah. There's there's quite a bit of it. I I was also reminded sort of of the concept of a familiar, which is just yes. like a little like animal helper who is bound to you mm-hmm. in some way. Usually that's 
like the the human familiar relationship implies like some kind of deep magic that isn't necessarily present here. This is just kind of the way things are in this world. Yeah, and the, and also like the the human person has a like is in charge of the familiar. Yeah, whereas here they are sort of, if not equals, then at least they're just like two parts of a whole and not necessarily like one is superior to the other i don't know are there animals that are not familiars they're just animals out there in the world this is like yeah, the pokemon yeah, they're just question. animals it's, <laughs> like i believe i think i'm pretty sure they're just animals okay okay um i did read a little bit yeah yeah they're definitely just animals okay he's talked about this as kind of a metaphor for adolescence he taught a lot of kids at this age he had classes that were um all young women of this age as well and he has talked in interviews about like the way the reason it is like a shape-shifting creature when they're like before they hit puberty or adolescence or whatever it is like it's the way that your sense of self sense of self changes as a little kid like based on who you know and how you want to fit in with people and then once what he has said is like the story of yourself that you start telling for the rest of your life like that's when it would lock into whatever creature it is yeah this is a um section from somewhere in the middle yeah a little bit before the halfway point in the book where lyra is traveling north from the college she was brought up in uh we can go back and sure. cover that in a minute but um, she's talking to a like a sailor who she's met on this voyage, and Lyra is the type to make fast friendships, like usually by being cheeky and like swearing at someone, and then adults <laughs> like, "I like the cut of your jib. Let's be pals." <laughs> okay. Um, so Lyra's talking to him and says, uh, "Why do Damons have to settle?" Lyra said, "I want Pantalaemon to be able to change forever. So does he." Uh, they always have settled and they always will. That's part of growing up. There will come a time when you'll be tired of his changing about and you'll want a settled kind of form for him. I never will. Oh, you will. You'll want to grow up like all the other girls. Anyway, there's compensations for a settled form. What are they? Knowing what kind of person you are. Take old Belisaria. That's his daemon. Mm. Uh, she's a seagull and that means I'm kind of a seagull too. I'm not grand and splendid nor beautiful, but I'm a tough old thing and I can survive anywhere and always find a bit of food and company. That's worth knowing, that is. And when your daemon settles, you'll know the sort of person you are. But suppose your daemon settles in a shape you don't like. Well, you're, then you're discontented, ain't you? <laughs> There's plenty of folk as would like to have a lion as a daemon and end up with a poodle. Until they learn to be satisfied with what they are, they're going to be fretful about it. Waste of feeling, that is. But it didn't seem to Lyra that she would ever grow up, which is a thing that I think you feel a lot when you're a kid. Yes. And then you become an adult and you're like, what is time? I got a third <laughs> of the things done in 2018 that I wanted to. No. Oh, no. What a, what a cool device. Like, what a cool metaphor for for just, like, self and change. Yeah, and it's also, I also, when I was reading about the series, I read that it's kind of, if, if you think of a daemon as, like, a soul, like a person's soul that lives outside of them, you're not too far off from Interesting. the intent either. That's cool. Yeah. That's a cool way to do that. Yeah, so it's the it's the coolest like mechanic in the book, and it's also like central to literally every single thing that happens in it. If <laughs> if Damon's ex- like is my social media profile like my Damon now? Like it is like reflective of who I am. No, but it's like not though. It's like ma- reflective of who you are in a manufactured way that you choose. Like, you, oh, okay. Like, if your brand was just what it was and you had no control over it, I guess, and you just had to make peace with what your brand. Oh, was. it's all the it's all the data 
that Silicon Valley has on me based mm-hmm. on my purchasing decisions and my Google history. Right. And you have what you think that says about you and then you have what it does say <laughs> oh, about you no. and you just have to reconcile the two. <laughs> oh, darn it. What would your daemon be if you had to? If I had a choice? And it can be mythical. Oh. Daemon can be mythical, like semi or entirely mythical. Like dragons and stuff? I don't think it could be a big dragon like they are. It would be like a tiny dragon. They usually seem kind of proportional to the person and also like that person's, I Mm. guess, class or intelligence or like internal virtue, which is determined in a way that I'm not really sure what it is, but... You know, early in the book, it's it's talking about an interaction between servants who have dog daemons, and it says superior human, superior dog. <laughs> I bet it would be like, you know, I like certain animals, like I like pandas and I like dinosaurs, but it, but it probably is not accurate. It's probably like, what's a good animal that listens? I feel like I'm good at listening. Parrots. Yeah, but I don't just repeat what other people say. So, <laughs> but ma- they listen, so they can repeat what people say. Maybe like a really chill parrot. Then people say <laughs> dogs are good listeners, right? Don't yeah, they? maybe like a an inoffensive dog. That's what I strive to be. As it is, dog. not one of those edgy, <laughs> like super offensive, like YouTuber dogs. What would yours be? An edge lord dog. <laughs> mine's <an> edge lord dog. <laughs> Um, I mean, my as I read most of this book, my cat just kept getting up on me and like laying all over uh, me and going to sleep. So probably some kind of cat. I get it. You love your cat, even though you hate him. Also, you have such he's a very well, sweet, but he's also a jerk. It's <laughs> like I don't. What's the that's, problem? That's basically you. <laughs> yeah, and I only want things when I want them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I what won't be is convinced otherwise? What is hers again? What is Lyra's? Uh, so Pantalaemon um, shifts a lot, but okay. sometimes he's a polecat, and sometimes he's an ermine, and sometimes he's a seagull, and sometimes he wants to go underwater and be a fish. Like he's he's all over the place. Okay, um, he's most often like a mouse or an ermine, but those are like, and he's early on in the book, he's like a moth. He shifts around a lot based on what they need, but his he seems to default to like a small sort of rodenty kind of guy. Okay. Okay. Who can like live in somebody's pocket and like snuggle up? Does he settle over the course of the book, or is that a thing that's it's no? She doesn't. I mean, later. she doesn't. the The book takes place over probably a few months, like oh, not okay. not long enough for her to to grow up. Okay, in any like meaningful way. Cool. Well, now that you have told me what Damon's are, what is Lyra's deal, and like what is the arc of this book? So the book opens with her. Um, sneaking into this room where she's not supposed to be. It's a room where her uncle, Asriel, is going to give this presentation about something he's been doing up north. Mm. Um, and she knows she's not supposed to get be in there, but she gets stuck in there, and her uncle finds her, and she has witnessed the master of this college like poisoning wine that her uncle is supposed to drink. Oh. And she informs him, and he's like, all right, well, because... This, I mean, this this could be useful knowledge for you to have anyway. So, like, go hide in the wardrobe and watch my present my PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> and maybe you'll learn something. And so, it's it is a big like slideshow essentially about this this work that he's been doing, and it's up north, and there's this material called dust mm-hmm. that we don't really know the full import of yet. 
but it's related somehow to Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights. Sure. At this time of day, in this time of the year, localized entirely in your kitchen. And there's a, there's like a visible like city scape that's like visible in the Northern Lights when it interacts with this dust. Okay. Okay. And everybody's like, whoa. Like what? Because this implies, as the intro of the book does, that there is another sort of universe on the other side of the Northern Lights. I mean, duh. (laughs) And I asked you to, to, um, research the the northern lights but isn't it basically like solar particles interacting with the atmosphere of of earth yes that's the short so i went to (laughs) aurorahunter.com sounds like a reputable source yeah and they have a little like infographic on what causes the northern lights um and charged particles are emitted from the sun during a solar flare most of them are blocked by the earth's magnetic shield but at the poles where the shield, where the like the magnetic field is weakest, uh, we get some uh, sun particles coming in. They collide with our atmosphere. They excite all the atoms, and then when the electrons move to a different um, level in the atom, uh, they emit light particles, and that causes uh, these like waves of light in the sky because it right. has to do with what gases are in the atmosphere. Different, and gases. they can. It's possible for them to happen anywhere but because of like the properties of the atmosphere in those specific locations like that's why it's visible the most frequently there uh, right it's specific more specifically about the weakness of the magnetic field at the poles of the earth right 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 um but they're they're very common in the northern hemisphere um you could also go see uh southern hemisphere ones as well but there the are less, less people down there in general so. <laughs> sure down by the by on the antarctic uh continent yeah okay cool but that's a deal so uh there's a there's dust and capital d dust oh capital and there's also a mysterious city up in the up in the northern lights okay and 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 this guy lord azrael is gonna like go there he's like yeah he's just doing experiments and trying to figure out like the deal and (laughs) sure and people at the college the college which is sort of independent of the church but also can't get too far out of line okay like this this is like borderline blasphemous kind of oh really for reasons we can also talk about yeah i'd like to know about Um, that yeah because dust like gets tied up in in religion in in ways that i don't it, it kind of is is used as a stand in for original sin basically like kids don't attract a lot of dust but then you start to attract dust as a teen and then as an adult so it's sort of associated with like both knowledge but also shame much like you know eating the apple yeah are you supposed to like go to church and confess your dust and then the no like that's that, you off that, or? I, i've jumped like all the way ahead to the very end of the book where <laughs> asriel and lyra uh, lyra are having like a, info a dump. deeply expository conversation about okay, what dust sure. is and how it links up to God. <laughs> well, so you said that she was like party to him almost being poisoned. Is that an insight? What was that about? Is that like the inciting incident of the book? It's not. It no, not really. Well, okay. I mean, yes and no. It's it's an important thing because it's like a moment between Lyra and Lord Asriel, and it's sort of, I don't know, like you, the reader, are 
sort of bought into their relationship a little bit because he seems like maybe he's just like a tough but fair like distant uncle okay and he is gone a lot but she like looks up to him in in a way and that's kind of your default position on on him too okay and that is hammered home a little bit when this woman named uh, mrs coulter comes to the college i've heard of her okay hey no not that one no no i've heard of this character sorry okay Yes, I've also heard of Ann Coulter, but I don't think she's in this book. It's no, it's not Ann Coulter, though she seems similarly disliked by many of the characters. Okay. The okay. Um She shows up with her Damon, who's this gold creepy monkey, <laughs> and says, Hey Lyra, I'm gonna take you away and you're gonna learn with me because you've kinda outgrown this this stodgy old college. Come on, it's gonna be fun. And Lyra is very like taken with this woman who's very beautiful and very knowledgeable. And the master, like before she's due to leave the master who she's confused about, right? Because he tried to poison her uncle. Yeah. Master calls her in and is like, Hey, have this. It's called, uh, it's spelled a L E T H I O M E T E R. A lithium meter. A lithium meter. A lithiometer. The it's the golden compass is what it is. Okay. But he calls her into the office and he's and he's like, Hey, like I can't keep you from this lady, but you should take this thing it, and goodbye. Is this like the first time she's like spoken to like had like a private moment with him? I mean, since the the poisoning incident more okay. or less. Because she she like makes her she lives her days playing with the the kids of like the staff and like running out into the town and playing with the like the the children of the like the boat merchants who sure. come into town all the time she's all she's known to pretty much everybody because she's always stirring up trouble but it's like a fun mischievous kind of trouble okay okay i'm jumping around a lot because i don't know because plot stuff and everything everything is linked and like i don't know how much plot stuff i need to like get into before we can just like talk about themes i want to know what happens in the book though yeah i'm working on it so she goes to ann coulter's house and (laughs) she discovers after a few weeks that she's not really like doing anything she doesn't get to hang out with other kids and and mrs coulter's kind of mean and she eventually like at this party she hears some adults talking about this thing and we've we've experienced them in the book as these things called gobblers which is like this mysterious organization that snaps up kids and they are never like never to be seen again Uh oh and so um lyra through hearing these adults get a little drunk and gossip at this party which whom's among us (laughs) has has never talking about secret societies absconding with children yeah at a at a party just as like light conversation when you're trying to hit on a woman which is what some dude is trying to do at this party um she learns that uh mrs coulter is in fact in charge of this thing that's called the general oblation board or gob or gobblers oh geez oh geez oh geez and what are they planning to do she doesn't know they don't know okay there's speculation about it, but she learns that, that Mrs. Coulter is in charge, and so she makes a run for it. And after some very harrowing adventures in the streets of the city, she is picked up by some of these uh, boat people. They're called Egyptians, mm. 
which I don't know if it's supposed to be Egyptians, but That's it doesn't it seem like. likely because <laughs> they're like in England and not Egypt and they live on boats and not the desert. Huh. Pyramids where yeah, Egyptians they're, live. They're just nomads. Yeah. Okay. Um, so she's picked up by these people and their leaders who have had their eye on Lyra for many years for reasons we'll we'll learn discuss about momentarily. Sure. Tell her more about her history. And hey, guess what? Lord Azriel, not her uncle, actually her dad. Whoa. Mrs. Coulter, not some benevolent socialite stranger lady, actually her mom. Whoa. And there's some unpleasantness between her dad and her mom, where basically her mom was married to someone else first (laughs) and then her dad got with her and got her pregnant and then the baby was born and it was obvious that she was not (laughs) she was she it was obvious that she was lord asriel's huh and so it became this big like landmark legal case where lord asriel kills the husband of mrs coulter because he came into his house like trying to get Lyra so there's like is it trespassing and so it was like he was defending himself and his family by killing this guy or was he within his rights to come and get yeah his wife's daughter okay yeah like so so there's a lot of uh, a lot of fighting but while this is all happening she is being raised by a maid basically, who ends up being the woman who captains the ship that she's on. So she's kind of accidentally found her way back to a surrogate mother figure. That's interesting that she's like out of a, like, not, it's not quite a, a quote unquote broken home scenario, but like this. I mean, it's not a, it's not a together home. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that to me feels very nineties. I don't, I don't want to speak for nineties Britain, but like I only nineties kids will get this one. (laughs) My God. I just, (laughs) I feel like that this like characters not coming out of like stereotypical family situations is, is like a thing that obviously happens increasingly as it's reflected in the culture so that that to me just feels like a very 90s thing as well but i mean if you think back to say a, a narnia or i'm sure there's other um i mean he didn't write it with like young adults or kids or whoever and no mind. yeah, yeah. Didn't. but i think this is a common trope where like like where is anyone's parents that's true that's true so to have like them the, involved, the sort yeah. of the the parentless child who finds their way into adult situations and then manages to thrive is like a, a fairly common trope, like even absent a broken home dynamic. Yeah, well, and that's useful to kids reading or pe- you know people reading in general because like you f- you can feel that way even if you're not from that situation explicitly. Like you can emotionally feel that way, especially when you're 12 or 13 and you're like, I'm on my own. This is me. Well, or, or like no if one's you re- ever you're reading felt like this a, way. If you're reading a Harry Potter and like, even if you weren't raised by your horrible aunt and uncle who keep you in a closet under the stairs, yes, you can be like, Harry doesn't have parents. I have parents. I like my parents. It would be bad not to have parents. Yes, that's true. That's true. Harry Potter. So Harry Potter situation is not great. I have, deduced that <laughs> through my kid logic <laughs> through my child logic sure and so the, the whole time this is happening you are also picking up like more background information about um damon's sure okay 
Um, so what you get is there, there's a very, 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 very strong taboo about touching someone else's daemon. Like even to the point where like people who are fighting each other on a battlefield will not like grab each other's daemons. Like your daemons can fight each other, but human daemon contact is not allowed unless it's your own daemon. Okay. And there's not like that's a that's kind of a norm thing. Sure. And I we all know how great norms are well, at th- deterring horrible people I, from doing things. I also imagine but, that does you know, that does a nice dramatic thing where either she gets to hear about the times the norms have been broken as some sort of cautionary tale, or it like sets up for the reader that like it's gonna be a big deal when this happens. When this happens, later. yeah, yeah right. okay. And um, yeah, and you know, also, yeah, daemons can attack each other. Um, when somebody dies, their daemon also dies. Can your daemon die, but you keep living? So that gets us to the next bit of the of the book. Oh. So one of Lyra's friends has been stolen. Like just before Mrs. Coulter took her up to her bad house, um, <laughs> Lyra, like her, her Lyra's friend Roger, has gone missing, and one of the Egyptian kids also has gone missing, and she's. Like she's worried about them and she's looking for them, but she has to go and she's like, well, I guess they'll probably turn up anyway. But when she escapes and gets onto the Egyptian boats, like they are all worried about this too, because it seems like a lot of kids around here are getting snapped up by the gobblers and someone ought to do something. So they're going to the fens for this big meeting of the Egyptians and they're going to discuss what to do and they're going to put together a task force basically and they're going to go take care of it because there are... I think Lyra hears through people at this party that they're, they're it's just all the stuff that's happening is like happening up north somewhere. Okay. So not only are these kids up north somewhere, but also Lord Azrael has been taken captive somewhere and he's being held and guarded by these armored bears who are another kind of sentient being Neat. in this book that we haven't talked about okay. yet. Okay. Um and so they are they are going, and as this is happening, like Lyra is holding on to this golden compass and kind of intuiting how to read it. So it's 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 got multiple different hands and then a bunch of different symbols around its perimeter. Okay. And each symbol has different meanings and it has like multiple different meanings and they're kind of prioritized. So one symbol, like this will be the first meaning for it, this will be like the fifteenth meaning for it. And as you like concentrate on it, and this isn't something everyone can do. This is something that Lyra can do. So this makes her special. So this is kind of her little a hero moment, sure. journey thingy. But um, she learns how to read, like ask this thing questions and then get answers back. Huh. And so she is, she eventually like proves her, si- like the, all the Egyptians are going to go off without her. And then one of the Egyptians like spies gets killed on a, on a mission and the, uh, the leaders come to Lyra and they say, okay, well we don't want to take you with us because you're a little girl, but <laughs> we could use your compass reading abilities to, to kind of point us in the right direction. Okay. So they're headed North. They get to this little town and here in the town, they hear about one of these armored bears, but he's like, he did, did some bad stuff in town. I think he maybe killed somebody or like d- destroyed some property or something, but he's kind of outcast from armored bear society. Oh, 
and he's just doing menial work in town and maybe they can enlist his help to get these kids back and get Lord Azrael back because these armored bears are big. They're big bad boys. They're like bigger. They're like polar bears who can talk and wear clothes. Sorta. Okay. It's <laughs> just armor. Not. They're not wearing like sports jerseys. Sure. <laughs> they're not like sad about the Chicago Bears' big, big devastating one point loss Ooh, to the Philadelphia Eagles you, tonight. Wow. <laughs> Sorry about that, Chicago. <laughs> this these thirty seconds of podcast will look real bad if the Eagles lose next week. But that's not unlikely. Bye, uh, Eagles. Bye. Um, what are we talking? We're talking. Well, so it sounds Why like just get so excited about my birds. I know the big the. So it sounds like the arc of this book is save the kids, save Lord Azrael, save the world. Um. And learning along the way that Lyra is special related to this golden compass. Yeah, that's basically the arc of it. Okay. Um, at, I do want to circle back to like you talked about dust being this oh, like... Yeah, I've been talking for a while. No, no, no. Okay. Like this dust is like kind of a version of sin and knowledge and this Northern Lights city operation that Azrael was doing is sort of blasphemous. Like mm-hmm. what of the church as a as an adversarial force are you getting in this book okay let me blast through the rest of this okay, okay. so there's okay. a there's a lab that mrs coulter is running essentially which it's its job is to split children from their daemons no. and in doing so like releasing a bunch of energy and they're also trying to like understand like f- how dust works because they figure if they can split children from their daemons before they can attract all this dust as like teens and adults, then they can fix original sin essentially. What? Yeah. It's wild. Oh. And <laughs> people don't take well to this. Like a, no. a human can sometimes survive without their daemon for a while, but they die pretty soon after. Even if the human and the daemon are still kind of together, the daemon is reduced to a sort of pet and that, like innate link between them is gone. Like they just aren't complete people anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's the nefarious thing that's, that, that is happening. And the church is kind of funding this work in the hopes of solving the original sin thing, basically. So this is the way in which uh, Mrs. Coulter is a big bad. And then later on, so there's this whole thing with the bears, which I'm not going to get to do any service, which is too bad because the bears are all really rad. Um, The uh, the main bear, Yorick, okay, um, is kind of is exiled, and he's been exiled by this bear named Yofer, um, who wants to be like he wants to have a dame, and he wants to be a person, oh, basically. Man. And there's this whole bit about how you can't trick a bear. Like Lyra goes to like hit Yorick with a stick, and he can tell when she's going for it versus when she's like fainting and trying to trick him. And he's like, you can't trick a bear, but because Eofer wants to be a human, he can be tricked. Whoa. And so Eofer, like Lyra lies to Eofer and tricks him into dueling with Eorik, who is suppo- who was like bear royalty and he's supposed to be the king, but he was like exiled and tricked because Mrs. Coulter came and tricked all the bears. And then they get into this big duel and because Eofer wants to be a human, he can be tricked. And so he gets tricked and then Eorik is king of the bears and he loves Lyra, who he calls Lyra Silvertongue because she's really good at, at lying. 
And so they go and they go to try and free Lord Asriel. But whoa, actually, he was a big bad all the, the whole time no. like all along. So they've brought Lyra's friend up to up to him and they are thinking, oh, we're going to save Lord Asriel. But really, Lord Asriel has been waiting for a kid because he's going to go up and he's going to pop the top off a kid and release and release this energy that bonds him and his daemon and he's going to open a portal to this other world and he's going to go through it because he figures this is the place where dust is coming from and if i go to the source i can eliminate it entirely like doing something that's even bigger than the work that that the church thinks is do like in doing this he's going to like totally discredit the church and like make it powerless basically oh, that's God. the that's the long and short of it so that's the and the book ends with lyra and paint pantalaemon like their friend has just died they're very like lyra's very tired she's had to do all this stuff she's had to be a big old hero and they have this discussion we've heard them all talk about dust and they're so afraid of it and you know what we believe them even though we could see that that what they were doing was wicked and evil and wrong we thought dust must be bad too because they were grown up and they said so but what if it isn't what if it's she said breathlessly, yeah, what if it's really good? <laughs> so basically, what if this thing that people naturally attract as they grow up instead of being sin is just like normal and fine? Sure. Okay. Because people people who we believe because we're kids, yep. like they said it was, was bad. And so we believe they were bad and we just operated from that assumption. But what if because they're all obvious jerk bags who like kill children, what if they're wrong about it? Huh interesting okay so that's that's the plot stuff now reiterate your question about church stuff well we can talk about kind of what you just said about like what what if this thing that an authority structure has been telling us um is actually wrong or at least not as bad as they said and what if the authority structure is actually really <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> harmful seems like a thing that people in the church might not want to hear um it's certainly a thing that like we're grappling with in the states with regards to like investigations into the church like covering up uh like hurting kids literally um not that that's what Pullman sounds like he's actually like talking about, but just... yeah, I'm kind of I'm making a tiny bit of a mess of the the link between the church as an institution in this book and um, dust, but essentially, dust is so, so so the deal with Christianity is in a lot of ways you're just kind of supposed to believe it, like the faith is part of the point. Yeah, yeah. And in discovering dust, in discovering this thing that the Bible appears to make reference to, and, you know, there's a passage in the Bible that he reads that refers to, you know, as part of original sin, as part of, like, eating this apple, your daemon assumes their true forms, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Um, They have discovered proof that this thing that's, like, relayed in this religious text actually happened. And so that's, like that's not something that the church is like wild about because once you know what something is, you can start like experimenting with it and doing other stuff with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, he, he has a quote about this in a, in a guardian interview. Um, he talks about like the modern relationship to the church and he says, um, 
What was the meaning of life? It seems that our nature is so formed that we need a feeling of connectedness with the universe. If there is, and this goes back to what you said, like if we can actually see this thing that scripture is talking about, then we have the same knowledge as God, perhaps. If there is no longer a king or a kingdom of heaven, it will have to be a republic in which we are free citizens. We ourselves as citizens have to build the republic of heaven, which definitely sounds like a thing that like a gatekeeping religious organization might be <laughs> at least like concerned with how that might come about. Sure. Um, interesting. Okay. Um, and there's also, um, this is Lord Asriel and Lyra again. He opened the Bible again and pointed it out to Lyra. She read in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of it that wast thou taken for dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. Lord Asriel said, Church scholars have always puzzled over the translation of that verse. Some say it should be read, not unto dust shalt thou return, but thou shalt be subject to dust. And others say the whole verse is a kind of pun on the words ground and dust. (laughs) And it really means that God's admitting to his own nature to be partly sinful. No one agrees. No one can because the text is corrupt. But it was too good a word to waste. And that's why the particles became known as dust. So, yeah, it's just raising uncomfortable questions. Yeah, yeah in a way that sort of threatens the power base of this gigantic organization. And um, seems explicitly tied to the age of its protagonist, too. Like, that mm-hmm. is the age at which you you start looking around and go, like, but really? Is that... And then, you're, and then it's also, like, it's equating the work that, that they're doing to split kids from their daemons with um, castrating... Oh, kids to like make their voices better and like wasn't, you know, wasn't that beneficial for church music. And so there's like precedent that they use to justify, you know, cutting these kids apart from from this like part of them. It's like this whole thing, man. I don't know why they call him Philip Pullman because he ain't pulling any punches. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Uh, So there's all that stuff going on. And then there's... um. There is the, I think the typical thing that happens when you're talking about any multiverse, which, you know, flip a coin when it's in the air, either, either outcome is equally likely, but then it lands one way or the other. And the one thing becomes a hundred percent true and the other thing becomes zero percent true. But then what if there's another universe where the other thing happened? And so what happens is a trickle down from that. And that's where we're getting into our multiverse stuff that we'll be apparently exploring in later novels okay so yeah yeah but that's why that's why i refer to this bit at the end as kind of an info dump because it's doing all of this like religious heavy lifting and all of this multiverse heavy lifting kind of all at once here at the end like you get it in drips and drabs but mostly you are not sure what dust is you're not sure what anyone's motivations are like why are lyra's parents so horrible to her and it's all (laughs) unfolded to us in one big dump here at the end that's interesting in a way that is i think fine for the first part of a three-part series sure and it you know it it does work as its own standalone thing because you get a lot of cool stuff and a lot of cool relationships that get established but um it definitely is like, okay, well, I'm glad that I have all of this expository information that I can go forward with now. Oh, wait, the book's over. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering what it felt like it was setting up. I was wondering, like, I guess, does it feel like it's... Are there any other, like, devices that you feel like need to get uh like delivered on like does it feel like something more is going to happen with the compass is that like 
there yeah there's some stuff with the compass there's um so the other so the bears are one sentient species they don't have daemons but their armor is kind of like a soul to them okay but they can also like if they lose it they can make some more like it, it's not a necessarily a thing where it's it's the, quite the same relationship sure, as humans sure. to theirs. and then there are witches who are people who live for a really long time and they have daemons but they can be separated from their daemons by like any amount of distance hmm. and still like retain a, a bond cool okay um and so we we get into some witch stuff especially like factions between the witches, but that is not fully explored, I don't think. And then obviously you have a whole second world that Asriel and Lyra are both separately heading off into. Yeah. I, which which is like at the very end of the book, which obviously is going to be a thing that's explored next time. Yeah, and that's the thing that I was struck by when you started talking about the book is that it doesn't feel explicitly like one, like a fish out of water kind of fantasy novel where it's like about it like it's like harry potter where he's like oh man i didn't even know that there were wizards and now i gotta go be one but it sounds like it's building to an even bigger version of that in book two where like yeah and 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 all through the book it it's kind of a fish out of water thing but here's the the twist is like all the people in this book who know about like prophecies and and destiny and stuff they all know like Lyra is a big deal and that's why everybody's been keeping an eye on her. Everybody knows about mm. her. Like she is Truman show she style has been. Yeah. She's been like chosen to be this, this big, this, this big person who all this stuff like hinges on, but she has to, she has to do it herself. Like she can't know okay. that all of this is on her shoulders or like the knowledge, that knowledge will make it impossible for her to do what she needs to do. That's like a cool garden of Eden thing. Neat. Okay. <laughs> Huh. Cool. Okay. That sounds like so, yeah, his dark yeah. materials. Yeah, I dug this book. It was it's I don't know that I did the best part the best job like talking about I'm the sorry thing, you didn't get but, to talk um, about the bears more because you were smiling a lot talking about the bears and I was smiling listening to this. The, the bears, bears are the bears are neat because one, it's just like big bears <laughs> in armor, like wrecking each other. Like they're so such big bear fights. <laughs> And the bear is also that, you know, that it's a, another fantasy trope, like that, that gruff yes. character who nobody can get close to, but then your main character gets close to them. And then you, the reader, are like, I have all the space in my entire heart for this gruff <laughs> bear who loves my protagonist. Yeah, well, and a, an outcast from the normalcy of the bears is really useful for, like, giving you an entree into that world. Um, but also having a little bit of backstory to uncover. That's really smart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Rather than just like, oh, we just dropped her in the world of the bears for a hot second. And now she has to look. Was, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think the biggest, like th- this book does a lot of, of world building, building, especially around the daemon stuff and like the different sentient beings and the relationships between them. And then I, th- I think, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I think with the multiverse thing, I mean, we just saw, the spider verse we did we did this is this is kind of (laughs) this is where multiverse stuff can be fun is okay having established these different peoples and these different sets of rules how can we riff on those sets of rules in different universes and demonstrate how by like adding or removing an individual element we make it different and then in so doing like deepen 
the audience's like understanding of our original characters yeah. and our original relationships and, and that, that kind of stuff. So that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, well, if any of our listeners uh, have read the rest of the series and without spoiling it, want to tell Andrew like their favorite parts to look out for, um, send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com uh, or hit us up online. Send us your cool armored bear pics at twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. Uh, folks reaching out to us in the new year include uh, Katie, Paris, Natalie, Cheryl, Adam, Amy, Renee, Jane, Carol, Gloria, Marilyn, Kristen, Mallory, and Steve, who helped revive our Goodreads group a little bit in the last week. So go check out our Goodreads group if you want to like chat with folks about the show. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Overduepodcast.com. I've been talking a lot and my throat hurts. So I'm it. just going to say Apple Podcasts, Google Play, RSS. If you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. Um, if you want to find out how to support the show financially and uh, get some stuff back from us in return, go to patreon.com slash overdue pod. And then we've got our January schedule as well as, you know, books that you can buy and, and read along up on our website as well. So next week, Twilight Eclipse by Stephanie Meyer. Craig and I are both reading that. Mm-hmm. And Craig is reading The Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich. Mm-hmm. And then I'm reading The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. And then later in the month, um, our combined Stop Homer Time episode about Emily Wilson's The Odyssey Translation, book 16 to 19, will drop on the main feed. That's it. That's all of it. That's what I think we got. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to us for another year. That's right. By listening to this episode, you're contractually (laughs) obligated to finish out 2019 with us. We really appreciate it. And until we talk to you next time, everyone, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.